Welcome to another episode of the Peak Potential Success Show. My name is Fong Chua. I'm an entrepreneur, business strategist, real estate investor, speaker, and also a best-selling author. And every single day, I help others unlock potentials and guide them to succeed. Today, I have another amazing guest. Actually, I saw her live on stage speaking with Dr. Phil on a fascinating subject on social media and mental health. And I just couldn't wait to have her on my show. I'm very, very excited. Uh, she is the founder of Van and Associates. She is the authority when it comes to non-suicidal self-injury and mental health as well. Uh, she is also known as the go-to person when you ever you see behavioral health stories making headlines. So please welcome international speaker, author of five books and more coming, behavioral health consultant, and here to serve Ms. Lori Van. Well, thank you. It is an absolute pleasure to be here. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to this interview today. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time and spending some time with us and adding some value. So uh, much appreciated. Now, for, for those of people who don't really know what, exactly what you do, because behavioral health consultant isn't a term that everybody is familiar with, what exactly do you do and what do you do for your clients? Well, as a behavioral health consultant for your business, I can help you or help serve your business by figuring out how to best attract clients, how to keep them, retain them, make them happy. And what that might look like is, well, one, how to decrease your liabilities. And in addition to if you decrease liabilities and you have happier employees, then you have better productivity and better productivity leads to better profits. And finally, you also, as a business, build your reputation in the community, not just only as someone to do business with, but also a business that people want to work at and work with. So that's just sort of a quick summary of it. But I also like to think of as your consultant, instead of having to have someone full-time on your payroll, when different issues arise at your business, you just contact me. It's sort of like a, I'm an on-call consultant and you get to have the benefit of my over 20 years of clinical experience. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned like the 20 years of uh, experience. Can you tell us more about that journey of all the other stuff towards what you're doing now? Yes. So I've worked in a wide variety of locations over the 20 plus years. And that is everything from inpatient psychiatric, uh, even state hospitals, worked the nonprofit sector as one of the directors, helped develop a program for juveniles that got in trouble with the legal system, but also developed other programs at that nonprofit to serve the adult population with a history of trauma, worked at outpatient clinic and saw a wide variety of adults, including those from Fortune 500 companies. And just for the location we were, was in the middle of a lot of huge national and international companies. So I worked a lot with those professionals, gained really valuable insights as to what was happening in those businesses and why those employees were either going on short-term disability or looking at leaving the job altogether. And that is something that's really unique that I do, uh, that I can provide businesses or I have a lot of insights that your employees might not be honest, might not be forthcoming with you as to why they're unhappy. And I've been full-time in my own private practice with Van and Associates since 2008 and have worked with many businesses, with nonprofits, with uh, individuals in corporate America, and just again, have a lot of 
knowledge, a lot of insights to help serve businesses. Now, you talked about working with people's uh, minds and also mental health, and that actually affects either business, personal life, everything. And when it comes to mental health, a lot of it has to do with social media now, too. Like, there's, we're so divided because mm -hmm. of social media. How does one protect themselves and their loved ones or their kids from being affected too much with social media? It's a really great question because social media is everywhere. And sometimes we don't realize, well, YouTube falls under that social media category as well. But it's, it's so easy to go down that rabbit hole. And if people actually set timers for how much time they actually spent looking at a post or a video or whatever, I dare say they would be really surprised. So how that translates into physical and psychological health? Well, the more that you have a sedentary lifestyle, so you're just sitting around and just consuming the information, it means you're not physically active. And that's not good, obviously, physically or psychologically, because when we're engaged with other people, we're having conversations, there's psychological benefits to that. When we're up and moving around, that's getting blood flow to the brain. It's also getting stress hormones out of your system. It's also producing more natural uh, neurotransmitters, natural happy chemicals, if you will. And social media, one, decreases one's productivity. It also, because the messages you see can create a lot of anxiety, uh, depression, self-doubt, and understanding the algorithms to social media, because once you start to look at one thing, then you get set up to look at the next. And before you know it, you go down there at rabbit hole. Yeah. And then finally, you have to look at just so much negativity that's out there. And, and there are a lot of trolls. Um, bullying amongst adults, cyberbullying of adults is a lot higher than what people realize. And most people don't bring that up to people's attention because either they're afraid of it or they're shy or embarrassed. Um, but how would you encourage people to actually stand out and speak out for themselves? Well, I do work with a lot of clients on assertiveness and what influences that first are the belief systems that you have about yourself. If you believe that you don't have a right to your opinion or a right to your feelings or, uh, or whatever thoughts, and you just keep them to yourself, well, that doesn't help your confidence. It doesn't help self-esteem and therefore you're not going to be assertive. You won't stand up. But if, and it's what I call working on the core issues. If you learn to say, you know what? I have the right to my opinion, just like everyone else does. As long as I express it in a assertive, positive manner, not in a negative retaliistic way or retaliatory way. And that, you know what, my thoughts could influence someone in a positive way. So it's a lot in the framing. It's a lot in identifying, well, also, where did these negative thoughts come from? Mm -hmm. Who in your life past or currently implied, you know, maybe directly stated or just implied it non-verbally that your opinion doesn't matter, that your thoughts don't matter, your feelings don't matter. So we really need to look at that relationship and do we need to start setting some boundaries with it? So another area that I work with clients on is boundaries in personal and professional life. 
but we also do some role playing of, okay, so how could you maybe respond differently to this situation? And we talk a lot about taking back control over your life. And that does lead to assertiveness. Now, you work with lots of different types of people from different industries, different cultures, different age groups, different backgrounds. And when it comes to, let's say, in the business side, um, is there specific signs that you can you can tell owners to kind of look out for uh, in order to have a, maintain that good relationship and good mental health at that work environment? And then also, in contrast, for parents to find signs in their kids to maintain a good relationship and good mental health. There's actually a lot of parallels between the two of them. And, you know, first, I think it comes down to respect. Well, what influences respect is what I say. It's like a little triangle of trust, communication, respect. If you don't have communication, if there's a breakdown in the communication, it's going to be difficult to trust someone. So if you notice an employee that shuts down, that gives very minimal answers, or likewise your child does the same, they're like, eh. you know, they're just short answers. Okay, there's a breakdown there. And there are absolutely a lot of things that can be done to address it. And one is more open-ended questions versus closed. Don't do just yes, no type of questions. Provide the opportunity for them to give feedback or where it allows for some additional questions and then sit there and just listen. Don't be, don't automatically go, okay, what do I say in response to that? Because sometimes the other person can sense that, that you're not really listening to them. And if they feel like you're not listening again, you're going to shut down with the communication and then you're going to perceive that in a negative way and you're not going to trust them. And the thing is, is if you can't trust someone, you definitely can't respect them. So those three right there, and in a business setting, unfortunately, I think that many people have become managers or put in managerial type positions, and they haven't been trained how to be leaders. And that sometimes goes back to their own kind of core issues of what do they define as a leader? What are their expectations of it? Do they see it as being authoritarian versus authoritative? big difference? Or do they have trouble being assertive and they're more of a passive type? Well, there are lots of things that can address that too. And again, even in parenting, are you authoritative, you know, like dictator type parent of your child has no choice, your child has no input? Well, what kind of adult are you developing in them? So that would be just sort of a quick summary of pay attention to the communication because when there's a breakdown there, there's so many other things that follow suit. It really is a domino effect that leads to anxiety and depression. Yeah. No. Yeah. You mentioned communication is key to a lot of things when it comes to uh, building those relationships, keeping that uh, mental health well and respected and all kinds of stuff. Now you're also known as the teen whisperer. So there's a lot of people out there who goes, I can't deal with teenagers. I can't communicate with them. I can't talk to them. So you found the key. Like you've got the secret sauce to able to whisper to teens. And I'm assuming that because you're able to do that, you're a, a really good communicator to all genres, right? So what is that secret sauce to be able to communicate with teens, to have teens listen to you? It really started off with just, you have to be comfortable on your own skin. 
-hmm. and that I don't take things personally. I try to go where that individual is. And that means that I need to do a lot of listening and then, you know, give responses or, or ask additional questions. Teens specifically, they would come in and they've gone through several counselors. And one of the problems would be is that they didn't feel listened to, or they felt like the counselor was just going to be like their parent and was going to tattle on them. And, and even adults have this anxiety about counseling of, well, who's going to find out what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know, am I going to be tattled on? Is, you know, and they have all these um, misconceptions and thank you, you know, Hollywood and the media because they help perpetuate some of those myths. But I would sit down with, say, in an intake, the family and the child and say, okay, this is what we're doing today. The first part, we're all here. There's some background stuff I've got to get. But then the rest of the time, I'm meeting just with the teenager. And that's showing respect to them. Of I want to know what your answers are. And hey, I'm not, not, <laughs> not going to run and tell your parents everything that you say in here. So I lay out those foundations. And even when they're a little resistant and they're like, well, how do I, I know I can trust you versus I couldn't trust anyone else. And I'm like, you know what? I understand it. And I sort of call out and say, you know what? I'm a total stranger. You're right. I don't take that personally. Trust is something that has to be built. And so some of it to take it to a business point is I anticipate what their responses, what their questions, what their objections are going to be. And then I'm addressing it. I'm, I'm calling out that elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. And that helps reduce some of that, that tension. And I do the same thing with adults that come in, they're you know, a little resistant on, I'm like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm chill. I'm not taking this personally. I get this is a different kind of situation for you. It's okay. You got questions? Let me know. Now, for somebody who has such a great background in psychology, in mental health, and working with so many different types of people, when it comes to the business side of consulting, um, you have a great uh, advantage over other companies or other consultants who don't have that kind of background. Do you have an example as to one scenario where somebody who doesn't have the background that you have would give certain advice versus what you would give? Well, looking at the behavioral health and mental health piece, that understanding what some of the risk factors are, because there are a lot of well-meaning people. I don't think anyone would intentionally give bad advice, as it were, but understanding the dynamics of, say, trauma and looking beyond just the immediate picture of maybe what an employee is doing and jumping to conclusions instead I do a little bit more on the detective work because I know what signs and symptoms can represent different things. I go, so on the surface, this is what you're seeing at work, but let me get a little bit of background. Let me get some history. Let me get some context for this. And I'm going to ask about certain signs that, that would come out of the DSM, that would come out of the diagnostic manual. It's understanding how trauma can present itself in the workplace. It's not always the way we, all, we think that it will present itself. Same thing with depression or even with substance misuse, that 
having all of the experience working with literally thousands upon thousands of cases over 20 plus years, there's a lot of things that I can provide unique insights on a psychological behavioral health side that the average, say, lay person that might see things more just on the surface, but really not understand the context of the, the behavioral health piece. See, um, there's a lot of people out there who are employees and they, they may be suffering from depression, suffering from stress, but they're so afraid to bring it out because they're, they're afraid to be viewed as weak. And maybe uh, they might lose their jobs. Maybe they're the first one to be let go and all that kind of stuff. So they kind of like hold it all to themselves. Yeah. What would you tell them to, to do or what are the first steps for them to take so that they can overcome that so that they can speak out? And conversely, what would you tell owners to be able to communicate so that if they could feel safe to do so? Yes. And so in my work as a consultant for businesses, it is helping them develop a plan of let's look at what are the systems you have in? Do you have an EAP in place? Because I've been an EAP provider employee assistance program. Do you make that available? Do you have, you know, ongoing communication with your team members? Do they have an anonymous box that they can submit suggestions? Mm. Do you have quarterly feedback sessions? Um, when maybe a differing opinion takes place, how do you respond to it? How do you make sure that there's not some kind of retaliatory response? And really just looking at the cultural piece of it. Uh, because one of the number one things that millennials are looking for at either staying at their current place of work or seeking new ones is how much a company is focusing on their well-being. And that's physiologically and psychologically speaking. So we would break that down. And when companies have that focus and sort of that here to serve focus, we're all in this together, that helps change the culture of a business, which in turn helps employees feel safer to communicate. Now for individual employees, I completely understand the worry, the anxiety, especially in some fields in particular, we see this a lot in first responders. And we know that a significant number of first responders, whether that's police, fire, ambulance, uh, et cetera, have a lot of worry about seeking help because they're worried they're gonna be taken off their job. But we know a significant number, number of them do struggle with PTSD. I mean, how would you not right. have PTSD in those lines of work? But there are resources and you can go to a counselor that your company doesn't have to know about. Even if you seek out EAP benefits, your company isn't made aware of why you sought the EAP. Mm -hmm. A counselor isn't allowed to say anything about it to your company. But if you don't want to do anything with your business, then you can see a counselor privately, use private pay. Mm -hmm. And if you're still worried about why well, I don't want a diagnosis, then you know what? That's where coaching comes in. Now, coaching and counseling, a lot of overlap, but there's also some very significant differences between the two of them. And, and that's, you know, a whole other conversation of why, well, I, 
I can provide the benefit because I know where the coaching needs to stop. and We actually need to switch to the counseling. Mm -hmm. I see. But it's in the end, I would encourage people don't let their fear and their worry take over their need to take care of themselves. Because if you don't take care of yourself, you're going to work yourself out of a job mm -hmm. and then there'll be a lot more problems psychological health is physiological health. Your brain is an internal organ, just like your heart is, and you won't neglect your heart. So don't neglect your brain and, you know, reach out, ask questions, call up a counselor, ask questions. You can do it anonymously. It's fine. So just take those initial steps. Uh, you mentioned there's a lot of resources out there that people can, can reach out to. Uh, you yourself have five books and a lot more coming. Uh, would you mind sharing with us some of your books and uh, why, why people need to reach out to get those books? Well, four of the books are specifically on the topic of non-suicidal self-injury, which is an international epidemic. And it has been for quite a while with the pandemic and lockdowns. It's increased that much more. And for those that go, well, I understand how is that different than suicide? Well, this is usually a, it's a coping skill. Uh, some people go to a bottle or to pills or to gambling or gaming, and other people take it out on their own bodies as a way to get grounded or to relieve the, relieve the psychological things that are going on, those pressures that are building because dealing with the physical pain is often easier than dealing with the psychological pain. So the caregiver's guide to self-injury is the first book that I wrote, and that's a great primer to understand. It's easy to read. And I wrote it specifically so that if you're in a crisis and you go, how do I respond to the situation? You go exactly to that chapter and you get your answer. You don't have to read it cover to cover. The other books, the practitioner's guide and the treatment of it and the accompanying workbook, uh, and then the activity workbook, the prevention techniques and the intervention techniques, those are all for counselors, uh, specifically treating that behavior. The fifth book was a little bit of a, a different uh, venture that it's called Cause of Death, Political Correctness. It's not a political book. I know the title is a little bit misleading in that sense. It's more of one, how political correctness came about, but also looking at the detrimental impact to businesses mm -hmm. and to academic institutions when we are so consumed by worry of being sued or council cultural that we've now had to hire tons of lawyers instead of paying that money towards research and development. And in turn, that's created a problem for the US where we're now behind other countries that are not as litigious as we are that have put their funding instead of in lawyers into product development. Mm -hmm. So it's, and it goes through a lot of the frivolous lawsuits, some of the crazy things that hear out there. And, and there's a little tongue in cheek. And I write about the psychological implications and groupthink and bias and tolerance levels and resiliency and how a lot of these things have actually changed over the decades. Yeah, you, you talked about cancel culture and that's something that's very, very um, relevant right now because people are so afraid to say one thing on social media and all of a sudden they're blocked off from everything else. Yes. What do you see? How does how does society change that mindset of, of cancel culture? 
What what needs well, to happen first? <laughs> it's a big thing to deal with. It is, and it's not one singular thing that has to change. I think that those that might respond out of anxiety, fear, that that's a, a core thing that has to be addressed within themselves. Of, but why do you feel so threatened? Because the bigger the outrage, the bigger the response from the person, sometimes that is representative of a deeper hurt, a deeper fear mm -hmm. that's there. Because it, to put it simplistically, people that are able to be logical, sort of that have an unemotional response, they get more credibility. When people respond with a lot of emotions and a knee-jerk reaction, and it's just emotionally based thinking, you don't have as much credibility. Do the experiment. When you watch interviews on a TV, the person that's like all wild and getting really emotional and upset, are you really listening to their words? Do you really see them as now a credible source or do you mm -hmm. just see them as being overly emotional mm -hmm. versus the person that's able to remain calm? You're more likely to listen to them because they don't seem as threatening. Yeah. And unfortunately, they, society sees that person waving his arms as entertainment and they yes. get all the clicks. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> It's hard so, to kind of combat that. <laughs> it, it can be. And just because someone gets attention doesn't mean it's the right kind of attention. But in the end, it also depends what kind of audience you want. Right. Do you want an audience that can think for themselves, that can make logically based decisions? Aren't those the ones you want to do business with? Mm -hmm. Aren't those the ones that you want to have as clients? Right. Because those that tend to make more emotionally based decisions and the thing is, you can't be emotional and logical at the same time. Your brain just sort of like clocks gears. Mm. And those that are making more emotionally based decisions tend to be more impulsive. And is that always the best customer to work with? Because then is there a higher risk, potentially? Is there a risk that no matter what you do, you're not going to be able to please them? So now you're just wasting a lot of time, energy, and effort trying to appeal to a group that you're never going to please in the first place. Mm -hmm. Right. No, every time I see you, you're very, very professional, very, very calm, uh, very, very credible. So what stresses you out and how do you overcome that stress? If there's anything that actually does stress you out. <laughs> I mean, I'm human and that's the thing. Counselors are human. We're not perfect. There are plenty of times where I'm giving a recommendation to someone in my brain. I'm going like, uh-huh. Are you listening to that? Are you hearing what you're saying? Because you know you're not doing that consistently yourself. Mm -hmm. So it, yeah, we're human. Things that get me stressed out, probably on the medical side, and that's more of a lack of feeling in control over mm -hmm. something that, uh, you know, stress of when uh, my dad did, you know, pass from cancer, but those 31 days from diagnosis to when he passed, mm -hmm. Yeah, that was highly stressful because literally my world went on hold because of the seriousness of what we were dealing with. I tried to still do what I could and I kept focusing on what's in my control and what's not. Mm. There is nothing I can do to control the cancer, nothing, right. but I can control, am I still taking care of myself physically so that I can stay in that hospital room and spend the nights there? Am I doing what I can business-wise to keep my practice going and being responsible and my obligations there? 
okay, I have some control over that. But yeah, obviously a, a stressful period. And, and that's probably the one thing of just like, it's the health of others that raise some of that tension level. And, and yeah, if there's really intense deadlines of, oh, you just told me this and um, this was something I needed to have two weeks notice on, but you're giving me three days notice on. Yeah. I mean, my stress level is going to get raised. And then it's like, after the initial, like griping uh, out loud to myself about it or to, you know, my husband, then it's like, okay, and what am I going to do about it now and getting re-centered and, and, you know, things that help with my stress level quite a bit is just, it is the, my personal faith. It is going, you know what? God's in control. He knows what he's doing. I'm just, I'm going to do what, what I can with the abilities that I've been blessed with. And, and that's it. And you, you take that next step. I don't, I don't think I can imagine you screaming or griping in a room. So uh, that's hard to picture <laughs> um, for, for people who would like to like, because being calm and being able to control your emotions is something that doesn't happen overnight. It's something that you have to kind of build on and exercise and kind of build that muscle. What do people do in order to train that calmness or controlling that emotion? It's some level of emotional maturity, how I handle things now in my late forties is different than how I would have as a teenager. And that should be expected that you continually develop throughout the decades. It's also a shift in mindset. And, you know, one of those big things is this mantra that I often frequently, I guess, maybe constantly give to individuals is that I can only control myself no one else and nothing else Mm -hmm. right here, this little circle, that's all I've got control over. So then there's this litmus test of, so if I can't control this, if this is about someone else and something else, then why am I wasting my time, energy, and effort on it? Because there's, I can influence it. I can look again back at how, what can I actually do in the situation? But if something is out of my control, then I have to let it go. I can't ruminate on it. And when people do get stuck in that, like, oh my gosh, I'm so overwhelmed and I don't know where to start. I encourage people to go, okay, but what can you do in the next 60 seconds? That's all I'm asking is the next 60 seconds. And I intentionally use seconds versus minute because seconds is such a smaller frame of reference. It's more easily digestible, I guess you could say. to conceptualize and so it's like just 60 seconds that's it what can you do okay well i can decide to get up from my chair okay great what can you do in the next 60 seconds after that and literally when you break things down into that kind of minutia Mm -hmm. and eventually you make it five minutes and 10 minutes and 15 minutes it's a grounding technique Mm -hmm. it takes them from spiraling upward into all these what ifs uh, that anxiety leads to And it takes them back to here and now in the present, in this moment, what can I actually do? And that's literally shifting you from emotional brain into a more logical brain. That is, that's a wonderful tip. So I'm going to have a timer every time I feel a little bit emotional. Okay. 60 seconds. What can I do? (laughs) Um, If you were on the real world stage and you had one message to share to everyone so that everybody could remember Lori for, what would that message be? Oh, 
I mean, there's obviously a lot of different things that I've been blessed to be able to do. A, a lot of, you know, gifts I've been given from whether the speaking or the consulting or the counseling or doing the interviews. Mm-hmm. But what's the core of it all is the philosophy of here to serve. And I think that when we take on that mindset of we're here to make the world a better place, we're here to serve others, it changes how you do things. It changes your perspective on things. And when you have more of that, I'm here to give versus, you know, I'm here to just take, 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 it, it produces its own natural effect. And people are more willing to work with you. Now, are there going to be people that try to take advantage of it? Sure. I'm not saying don't have boundaries, but more times than I think people are more willing to go, you know what? Yeah, we couldn't do business right now, but I appreciate that attitude. I appreciate that desire to give back. And I'm going to figure a way to try to give back to that person, or at least maybe I can pay it forward. Awesome. Now, I know your time is very valuable. I have five quick questions for you. Give me the okay. first one that comes to mind. Uh, stranded on a desert island, you get one food to eat for the rest of your life with no consequence. Oh, my gosh. So you can that eat gummy a, bears and still be healthy. <laughs> that is a, a really tough one. Um, I, on the bad food side, I would say it'd be chocolate. Um, dark chocolate though, because dark chocolate at least does have some medicinal benefits to it. Ah. <laughs> um, but I, I would have, to, I'm a big, you know, corn and sweet potato kind of person. So it, I think it'd have to be one of, you know, those, so I could at least remain somewhat healthy. <laughs> uh, you're going on a very long road trip, but you can only pick one song to listen to a, a, throughout the entire trip. What's that one song that you don't mind listening to? Ah. Uh, Boy, I have one for like all the different genres, probably. Um, if it's a long road trip, I would think it might be Tom Cochran's Life is a Highway. Ah, nice. Because it is. <laughs> and uh-huh. so I'm going to keep on driving it. So on this road trip of yours, you get to pick one person to go with you. Who would that person be? Dead or alive, celebrity, whatever it is. Um, it's... I mean, it really would be my husband because he's my best friend and we have great conversations and I just, I can't imagine going on a trip with anyone else but him. Mm -hmm. So this next question is going to be something that's pretty easy then. What would you prepare your husband for a very, very special meal? Oh, he is a steak and potatoes guy. Mm -hmm. And so I would, it definitely be a steak. I'd probably have to hire someone else to do that for me. Um, and he likes uh, mashed potatoes. Uh, he will have the occasional, you know, maybe corn or like a, a glazed carrot, like Bob's Steakhouse does. And then, you know, maybe uh, either a really good beer that went with the meal or a good wine. And then for dessert, it'd be something chocolate. Uh. Sounds like you've done it before. (laughs) And my last question is, what is success like? Like, give me a number between one to four. What is success like? So, I mean, my favorite number number is two. Two? One, two. So how is success similar to a turtleneck? Oh, my. So I'm not a big turtleneck fan because I don't like to be restricted. Mm -hmm. I don't like things around my neck. 
And I think success can be a double-edged sword in mm-hmm. that sense, because in one way, a turtleneck helps keep you warm. It has a good purpose. But at the same time, if it's too tight, it can restrict you. And success can be that way. Sometimes it can bring about a lot of benefits, but sometimes there are downsides to success. And it can be very restrictive, whether that's you have to maybe give up some anonymity because now people know who you are. Mm-hmm or that you have a higher threshold, you have a higher expectation to meet this. So there's higher pressures and that can get a little restrictive too. Ah, Nicely done. So that is how success is like a turtleneck. Um, How do people get in touch with you if they want to know more about what you do, um, reach out for your help or get some of your books? What's the best way? Well, there's, you can find me all over the internet. So simple way, just to email me. Lori at lorivan.com. But if you want to follow me on Instagram, there's three different ones. There's the Institute for NSSI. There's Lori Van Coaching and there's Lori Van Authority Speaking. You can definitely find me on LinkedIn, find me on Facebook. And then the websites, there's lorivan.com. That's the one that has the speaking and the media interviews. There's vanassociates.com. That's all things on the counseling side and, and some of the coaching and consulting pieces. And then there's the Institute for NSSI.com that is solely focused on that. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, everybody else. Make sure you get in touch with Lori, uh, a wealth of knowledge. This, this interview went very, very fast and I learned a lot. Um, any last things that you want to share? Yeah, not offhand. We covered so many different <laughs> great topics. So such a variety, which I love. Uh, the ability to speak about lots of different things. And uh, just in closing, just, you know, each day, wake up and go, how am I going to make this a better day? You know, what am I going to do to be a blessing to someone else? Awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time and all the great tips that you gave. Uh, That 60 second thing is very, very good. It's it's cool. So um, for everybody else, until next time, she is Lori. My name is Paul Antoine. Today is the day to lock your peak potential. Well, I'll see you later.